Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome, folks, to another super special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. It's Coot here. I uh, trust you've been enjoying all of the new episodes uh, as we have begun launching uh, the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, I wanted to do another uh, bonus episode uh, of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, a few years back, I did a very launched a very successful online summit called the Secret to Success Summit, which was all about living from your soul, living authentically, uh, living a life of purpose. And and in this summit, I was uh, the theme was what is real success? Is it just making money? Is it is it just fame and fortune? What is real success? And well, I, I was really blessed to bring on one of my dear friends, someone you probably have heard of, maybe you've read her book, A Return to Love. Uh, an amazing woman called Marianne Williamson. Uh, she walks a talk. She lives from the soul. And uh, the interview was so good and so inspiring, and so many people commented on uh, the great interview that I, I wanted to, you know, as we're beginning to launch uh, the Soul Talk podcast, I wanted to share this special interview I did uh, about two years ago with the one and only Marianne Williamson, with, with each of you, uh, with the hope that it would inspire you to uh, live more authentically, live from your soul, and uh, share your gifts with the world. And so this was taken from about two years ago uh, with Marianne, where we get really we got into some really juicy material and juicy questions, and I think you'll find a tremendous amount of value from this uh, amazing interview. So enjoy this special bonus, folks, and. Uh, uh, let me know how you enjoy this episode and uh, consider it a gift from me to you and get ready also for new and upcoming episodes of Soul Talk after this. Enjoy my interview with Marianne Williamson. Today's first session is uh, very special for me. Um, I, you could say I'm limited for words because uh, the guest I'm about to introduce to you, uh, I first read her book when I was 13. Uh, a young kid in London, about to be ordained in my father's church in his ministry. And I read her book, A Return to Love, and it was uh, a revolution for me, an explosion in my heart, deeply inspiring. And uh, her book, the book, A Return to Love, has been a bestseller. She's written 11 books, everything uh, from uh, the, the Law of Divine Compensation, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, the Illuminata, which I love, uh, The Gift of Change. She's a, she's a visionary, and uh, she is a woman that walks her talk deeply. Um, I'll never forget, I hope it's okay for me to say, but I'll never, never forget many years ago uh, being invited to sit with her in her home uh, and uh, just uh, feeling her, the depth of her love and her care 
as she just gave me some amazing advice and just opened her heart to me in such a way. And I just felt that was so real. And that is, for me, says everything about this amazing woman. Um, so without further ado, I want to introduce you all to our very first guest, Marianne Williamson. Marianne, welcome to the Secret to Success Summit. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, and uh, I'm honored to be here, and congratulations on doing this. It sounds like a very exciting thing for a lot of people. Yes, I'm excited, and it was a vision, and it's been amazing to see it come to life, so I'm really uh, glad you felt called to be a part of it, and as you know, we're, we're exploring success, and you know, I've been asking people to share a bit about their, their histories and their backgrounds, but there's so much you've already written that uh, I'm just kind of inspired to ask you to maybe share just like how, a bit about how you got started teaching. Uh, I think there's many people who maybe they have visions or dreams or they feel like they have a gift to share and they might be in the beginning stage, stages of uh, sharing their dharma, their gift with the world. So how, how did you, you, know, you, you begin? You start with a, with a handful of people in your living room and, and shared your message with the world. How, how did that start? What was that like? Well, with my work, uh, as with everything, I think things begin in your mind and in your heart. The most powerful things uh, in the world uh, begin way before in your mind and in your heart. And I think you're pregnant with something spiritually, just like when a woman is pregnant with a child, the child is conceived and then she she carries it in her womb and it gestates and then it's time for it to be born. I think that that's how all manifestation occurs. First, it is conceived in the womb, as it were, of consciousness, and it gestates within you, and it lives within you, and it grows within you, and then when it's naturally time for it to be born, it happens. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to manifestation of career, kind of want to skip the gestation, and um, then aren't, you know, they're surprised they don't have a full-blown baby there. Um, For me, things began, in terms of what happened inside me, when I first started Reading the Course in Miracles, I had had begun the book and I had gone over to the publishers um, in New York City, which at that time was in an apartment in Manhattan. And as I was coming in, the woman who was head of the foundation was leaving. <clears throat> they told me that she was leaving to go, interestingly enough, to Houston, which is my original hometown. And that she was going to be talking to people about A Course in Miracles. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what a magnificent thing to do with your life. And when I got home that night or sometime in there, I remember sitting down and very consciously saying a prayer, God, please use me. And I think that is the most powerful prayer for manifestation, is that you pray whatever that word means to you to be used. You know, there is a natural intelligence in the universe that takes all things to their highest level of creative possibility in this life, whether it's an embryo becoming a baby or a bud becoming a blossom or an acorn becoming an oak tree. We are programmed. There is already a template in the mind of God by which each of us becomes the man or the woman that we're capable of being. And I think work is that our work in the world is that which unfolds naturally and automatically from that place of alignment uh, with who we truly are. And I think that what puts us most powerfully in that alignment is that devotion and, and, and prayer to be used for something higher than ourselves. I think that activates cosmic companionship, and it puts us into 
divine alignment so that then the same power that makes planets revolve around the sun works on your behalf and things fall into place and you meet certain people and certain opportunities arise. Those things just then begin to occur naturally. And even more importantly, you are within yourself the person you need to be in order to take most advantage of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. I don't think need, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I don't. I think a lot of times, you know, people talk about creating opportunities. The universe mm-hmm. is an infinite opportunity creation machine. <laughs> so we don't have to create opportunities. If we are honest with ourselves, how many times have opportunities been right in front of us, and yes. we we blew them? Often mm-hmm. we blew them by not even realizing they were opportunities, and that's why we create opportunity by simply standing in that place within ourselves where opportunity unfolds naturally because life is opportunity. It is an eternal wellspring of what would be the next highest possibility, what would be the next greatest miracle. And we're simply part of that field uh, by which life constantly recreates itself at the next highest level. Mm. Is it uh, it's so so scary for a lot of people to... I guess I would use the word surrender, you know, to being used because many times we're taught strategies and techniques and, you know, these these, these mind tricks to control life and make things happen. Um, Why is it scary? Well, if you think about it, it, what should be scary is the Hmm. thought that you have to make things happen. That's (laughs) what we should see as scary. And if we're honest with ourselves, it is scary. It's terrifying. Because who are you? You're just one little speck in the universe. So to surrender is it's it's like the wave. If 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 a wave thinks it's separate from the ocean, which is how we're taught to think that we're just separate, then the wave would be constantly terrified that the ocean would overwhelm it. But mm-hmm. if the wave identifies itself with the ocean, then it knows that the power of the ocean is within it. So you're not surrendering to something outside yourself. You're surrendering to your own knowing that you are part of the fabric of life. And the fabric of life takes care of life. Not you anymore, but neither any less than any other being. So so what should scare us is the idea that you're all on your own here. And then, of course, from that comes things like you've got to go take the bull by the horn. But if you think about it, taking a bull by the horn would be a very suicidal thing to do. (laughs) So instead, you have imagery like, well, how about the angels pushing you from behind? And when you Mm -hmm. change, if you look at where you live inside your body, when you make a comment like take the bull by the horns, Mm -hmm. just feel yourself when you even say that. And Mm -hmm. then you say, I will allow the angels to push me from behind and just see where you sit within your body then. It's a completely different emotional um, field of gravity. And the person that you become, that you, the place you sit within yourself when you say the angels are going to push me from behind is a much more relaxed person, mm-hmm. a much more open-hearted person. And from that place, you are actually much more likely to build the kind of relationships with people and have the kind of energy that is necessary to truly make great things happen. It's like the difference between, you know, white sugar, you eat a candy bar for energy versus the actual nutrition of healthy food. Mm, I love that, uh, that visual of the angels pushing me from behind. It feels completely different. 
uh, for sure, I can feel it mm-hmm. in, within myself. So, how, how, how does one surrender? I mean, are there steps? Is there a first step? Is, is there a process for that? Like, where does one start? You start by forgiving everybody. Because to the extent to which there are people in your life who you resent, you hold a grudge against, you blame, you criticize, you see yourself in terms of victim or whatever, to that extent your heart is closed. And you, in every moment, when the heart is open, you are naturally co-creating miracles. And remember, the miracle we want here is for your life to be lifted to its highest creative possibility, and success is simply an aspect of that. To the extent to which our heart is closed, to that extent, we are deflecting miracles. So you can do everything on an external level to be successful. But if you are carrying around anger, bitterness, uh, negativity, uh, withhold of love, then you are actually deflecting the most powerful force um, for the engine Uh, you know, the actual moving forward of wonderful things in your life. So counterintuitively, the way to be most powerful on the earth, the way to be most powerful in the world is to know that you're not of the world, to be playing a higher game, to be dancing a, a grander dance. You know, you don't necessarily say it to anyone, but you realize that your prayers, your meditation, your inspirational reading, your efforts to forgive, your taking responsibility for your own character defects, all of those things, regardless of what your, you know, there are so many different spiritual paths, there are so many different kinds of jargon, but there's really only one spiritual truth. But your spirituality is not separate from your success train. It is as essential to your success at work as it is essential to your success at anything else because it is essential to your success as a human being. Mm-hmm. You say spirituality, um, you know, there's so many different definitions of what that means for people, and um, you know, in our modern day culture, a lot of people think it's you know doing yoga or doing this specific mantra, wearing a particular mala bead. Um, what spirituality? What does it What does it mean to you when well, you say spirituality? Well, spirituality is the path of the heart, and some people do find it with a particular mantra. Some people find it in traditional Christian. Uh, uh, religious traditions. Some people find it outside of, uh, of religious traditions in a spiritual path, whether it's Catholicism or Christianity or Judaism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, um, uh, Buddhism, Hawaiian, Alcoholics Anonymous, A Course in Miracles, Transcendental Meditation. I mean, there are so many uh, different uh, portals. There are so many different uh, means, but the point is they are all pointing to the same end, and that is that field of consciousness, that field, that quantum field of infinite possibility through infinite love. And everybody, you know, some people know what their door is, they just haven't been walking through it, and other people really don't know. You know, they're willing to have a particular path, they're willing to have a particular teaching, but they don't really know. And And anybody listening right now, for whom that's true, and some people listening right now already feel busted, because when I said mm. some people know what the, their their technique is, they just don't do it, and some people are already mm. laughing, I assure you. Mm-hmm. Other people might not know, but I assure you if you ask, books will fall at your feet within a couple of days. Mm. So, you know, as we explore success, I asked, um, I think it was Matthew Fox, who I, I, I interviewed the other day, I asked him, you know, what... What's the purpose of life? Why, why do we incarnate? And uh, as we explore success, 
you know, many times in the modern world, in the, the, the whole purpose of life is to accumulate power and money and, and material gain. But uh, why do we incarnate? What's the purpose of life that a soul incarnates into this existence? In A Course in Miracles, it says the purpose of life is to be happy. Mm. I think that there is such a heartbreaking breach between how beautiful the world can be, how beautiful life can be, and how ugly it is sometimes. And repairing that breach, in Judaism they call it tikkun olam, repairing that breach, closing that gap between how beautiful life can be and how ugly it often is. That's why we are here. And it is the only way to be happy, is to know that you are in service to closing that gap. You know, the ego mind says you'll be happy if you have the better car, the better apartment, the better house, the, the million, you know, another million in the bank or whatever it is. But anybody who has ever achieved those things knows that they are temporary help uh, for, you know, uh, existential crisis. They are not the fundamental uh, joy-producing elements that we think they are when, when we don't yet have them. And so ultimately happiness does not come from the accumulation of the things that, you know, the and you know, capitalist based society tells us would make us happy. Now that is not to make those things bad. Those right. things are nice too. But they are wonderful for because they can help us uh dwell at a at a, a less stressful level and at a place where we can not only help create good for other people but do greater service because of the material conduits that we have at our disposal. Yeah, so it has a place, but our relationship with it's really, really important. Right. Um, so over the years, um, as you've shared your message and touched lives, uh, I'm curious about what success means to you. Uh, if that definition, if, if your perspective on success has shifted over the last, I'm sure it has, over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and and what, uh, as we explore success, what, what, what does it mean to you today? Uh, well, I don't think it really has shifted. I think the first uh, element of success is who you are as a person, that you're a good person. You know, our society has really created something perverted around success. Um, you know, we're living at a moment where someone, you know, without naming any names, but everybody knows who it is, you know, a beloved figure, one of the most successful people in Hollywood, and now apparently at least has been accused of raping all these people. So, mm. um, you know, several years ago. So, you know, I mean, is he a success? Well, he was successful in many, many ways, but as successful as a human being, apparently there were some places where um, perhaps not. So I think the most important success and something that our society definitely needs to get back to is are you a success as a human being? For me, am I a success, for instance, as a mother? Um, mm. you, you know, are, are you a success as a friend? Are you a success as a citizen? Are you a success as a as a parent? Are you a success as a as a as a member of the human race? I think that's number one. And I also think that when we dwell within a place where we define success that way, we are much more likely. You know, this business of you know, nice guys finish last. No, they don't. Mm. Nice guys, nice guys finish first if they stand within the space of their quote-unquote niceness with enough of a, a, a willingness to receive all the glory that the universe has to offer. So I think, number one, it's about being as successful as a human. Now, in terms of professional success, 
um, some of the things. There's a line in A Course in Miracles where it says, some of your greatest failures you thought were success and some of your greatest success you thought were failures. Um, There had been things in my life um, that I have done that did not have as much, quote-unquote, success, if you want to think of success indicators according, you know, to the standards of the world as other things, but which represented for me a level of personal success that I made the effort. I recently ran for Congress. I would, you know, I I was not successful. I I wish that I had been. I wish that I had known better, more what I was doing, you know, and that's a big deal of success. You've got to know what you're doing. Um, And it was an area where I didn't know enough about what I was doing. But still, it it was a a level of personal success for me in that I stepped into the fray. A level of personal success for me is in that I do believe that I, I... I stood for something that that I wanted to stand for on the, within a platform, a very powerful platform, which is a prof- uh, congressional campaign. So, you know, uh, a congressman said to me, every campaign is successful in some way. And so, you know, I've had those things in life that some people would say, oh, she was a big success. Other people would say I wasn't. But, you know, it, we want to get deeper than that into what success really means uh, for you as a human being. And I think that a lot, you know, a lot of people who have failed in life as, you know, then say their next success, the big success that they had, could not have happened had they not had a certain failure that taught them so much. You know, you learn from your failures as well as your successes. So I think ultimately failure is simply something you don't learn anything from. And I think mm-hmm. success is anything that you do learn something from. Mm-hmm. So... You know, on the, on the journey of life, obviously, many, we all face uh, challenging times when we're maybe dark nights of the soul, when uh, a crisis, things didn't work out the way we thought, a heartbreak. Um, in those moments, uh, maybe one of your own moments, what what kept you going? What keeps you going in your in those darkest moments? And how can those listening who are on a path, maybe they've pursued a dream or they've been betrayed or disappointed, and and things haven't quite worked out the way they thought they wanted. How can they keep going to miss those Well, times? this subject is uh, rather close to my heart at the moment. I'm writing a book right now about spirituality and sadness. And I mm. think the reason the topic was so up for me because, was because I did lose um, my congressional campaign. And mm. I was talking to a gentleman today who I, I didn't make it through the primary. He made it through his primary and then lost in the November election. And I have such compassion uh, for people who run for office and lose because it it is a tough one. Um, I think that our society does not make enough room anymore for grief. We don't make enough room for sad times. We've taken a cheap yellow smiley face and thrown it over everything. And we act like being sad. Something's wrong with being sad. But the truth of the matter is if you had a business that wasn't successful – you have an effort in your work that wasn't successful. You might have lost money. You might have lost your job. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening in on your program um, want success, some of whom feel that they have not achieved it. So first of all, you accept that failure makes you sad. And you let that be. <laughs> because anytime we have something that doesn't unfold the way we wished, we are sitting with a lot of woulda, shoulda, couldas. Uh, we're sitting a lot of times with anger at ourselves for not having better done a better job. We might be angry at other people who we feel uh, undermined us. 
And I think that one of the things that's important is to make psychic space for this and to not fall for this current American delusion Mm. that we should all be happy all the time, which then leads to this epidemic of casual antidepressant use. Um, when you're when you're moving through sadness, which is what happens if you feel you've failed at, at certain things, mm-hmm. then yes. that's okay. That's part of life. And I think also, if you did have a situation that did not turn out, you know, like I said before, the only real failure is to not learn from it. Mm. So if you, quote, unquote, failed, you know, if something didn't go well, it's so important not to be numb during that time because you have to take a deep look at yourself. Where did I not show up for myself the way I should have? Where was I not the person I should have been? Where was I not the professional I should have been? Where could I have done better? So then you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive other people. If you do not learn from your failures, then the next time you go out there, you, you've missed an opportunity to create the big, sex, the big success next time. You know, there are a lot of people, you know, people say this all the time, the people who consider overnight successes weren't overnight successes. They've been at it for a long, long time, and some of their journey included times when they weren't success, successful at all. So I think the, the biggest issue is to know that your failures are a, a, a failure when you say what keeps you going. Part of it is knowing that a failure is, failure is part of the journey of success. Mm. And, you know, even some people who have very successful careers, you know, they're the most successful lawyers in the world don't win every case. The most Mm. successful actor or actress or movie director, you know, they they have a few bombs in there. Mm. You know, very few people hit a level of success and then just keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. That's actually the exception rather than the rule, even among very successful people. And that Mm. includes financial also. You know, life is life. Often, a lot of times, includes ups and downs. And mm-hmm. when you have financial failure, it's the same thing. Where might I have done it different? And who do I have to forgive? And what do I need to atone for? And it's all a part of the journey of of learning to live hot life at a higher and higher level. And I think if we allow that, if we have that psychological context, which really is a spiritual context, because you know that. As you do allow the atonement to occur, taking responsibility, forgiving, and so forth, new beginnings are created all the time. Mm-hmm. So in terms of forgiveness, you know, sometimes we hear people say, well, if I knew better, I would have done better. But there, there's, there's also moments, I think, where people, we, we've known better based on experience, and yet we still don't do what we know. So I'm curious for, for those that, uh, maybe in that place, and they're like, well, it's, it would be easy to forgive myself, but I knew better. I really did know better, and I, and I cheated anyway, or I made that decision for the fifth time anyway, knowing better, and they're finding it hard to forgive themselves, to let go and move on. H- how do they make that shift? What, what's, well, what's, I what's, think they... you make an excellent point. Because this business of, well, if you had known better, you would have done better. You yeah. Know, for, uh, you were talking about Matthew Fox before, and there's a Matthew Fox story that I just love. Uh, at least I heard that this was Matthew, where he there was a place where um, uh, an Indian guru had had this spiritual community. And as it turned out, the guru had had sex with like a lot of the women there and so forth. So they had to let the guru go. And Matthew uh, went there. And he was working with some of the people and um, in a healing for the community. 
and mm. someone in the community said about the guru, well, he did the best he knew how to do. And Matthew said, no, he didn't, <laughs> which I just love when I've he- I heard that story. <laughs> no, he did not. I think mm. that there are is bitter, I think sometimes when we have failed in material terms, bitter self-recrimination is part of the journey. And I think that that is part of the dark night of the soul. And that's why atonement, atonement is a, is a powerful spiritual uh, concept. It, it's a cosmic reset. It's where you take full responsibility and you atone for your error. And it's in those moments, like you just said, I did know better, but I was irresponsible. I did know better, but I was reckless. I did know better, but I was controlling. I did know better, but I didn't listen to people who were trying to tell me because I thought I knew better. Um, I did know better, but my pride got in the way. I did know better, but whatever it is. And I think, once again, that's part of that allowing yourself the context for the depression, mm-hmm. allowing yourself the context that those are painful times. But allow yourself to go through that and you burn through it. And then that's why it's a spiritual issue. You do atone and you ask, you ask, you say to God, I wish to be a better person. Um, I, I atone for my error. I realize I was reckless. I was realized I was irresponsible towards myself and others. I place that in your hands and I pray to be given a chance to begin again. And that's, that's the miracle. That's redemption. That's grace. That's, that's, that's what spirituality gives you is that alchemical shift that is far more than just mere abstraction or intellect. Mm. Got it. Got it. You know, on on the journey of uh, of pursuing a vision, a dream, um, and exploring success. For me, part of being successful is it's really not about having things or the material, even though that's so often what we're sold by the media and society. But uh, but the ability to be authentically who we truly are as souls, and to allow that to be embodied and live it, not our parents' version or society's version, but our true self. And, uh, you know, as obviously you've written many books and you've dared to put yourself out there, and I think that whenever one dares to put themselves out there in the world, whether it's an opinion, whether it's sharing your gift, whether it's a candy, um, whether it's a Martin Luther King, whether it's just on Facebook even, you know, uh, or you're up to something that makes a difference in lives, uh, there's that possibility of facing judgment and people's criticism. And so you're someone that, you know, you, you campaigned, uh, you've, you've been vocal, uh, you've written amazing books, and I'm sure not everyone has uh, loved what you had to say. So mm-hmm. how, how, do you deal, how do you deal with that? And how can people deal with the haters, the critics, the, the, the judging folks out there the reviews, you know, let's say you put a book out, Marianne, and, you know, uh, how, how do you deal with, you know, moving beyond wanting people to love your book or, or, or the book, you know, the book critics and where have you come to and how can people find that inner um, reference, that inner, you know, self-validation? Well, living a meaningful life is not a popularity contest. <laughs> um, there was a magazine article about me during the campaign it was just vile what a couple of people said and Mm. you know it's not fun it's Mm. uh you know but the kind of people who are going to read trash about you and just 
believe it. You, you have no you you have no control over it. It's not fun. A bit humiliating. Um, because you feel well, a hundred people know you and would say lovely things about you, and then somebody doesn't know you and has an axe to grind, and then you you feel wronged by journalists who quoted that one. All that stuff. That's just the world we live in today. Um, there's a lot of mean-spiritedness in the world today. But yeah. you want to be careful because if, you know, if, if you're just a people pleaser and you just say what you know everybody will love you for, I think that's particularly an issue today because the world is in some very, very critical, urgent uh, situations. Mm-hmm. And yet a lot of times people just don't, want you to talk about it. Oh, let's not be negative. To me, nothing's more negative than complacency. People say, oh, let's not be political. Let's not go there. Let's not go there, people say, about things about which the human race uh, should be saying, we must go there. Let's go there. So I think, for me, age has been part of that. Somebody told me that turning 50 is the age past which you don't care what other people think anymore. And 60 is the age at which you've just got to say it, no matter what people think. So a lot of that comes with age. I I think it's just kind of natural. The younger you are, you know, you just want everybody to love you and like you. And you get to a certain age, and it's like, whatever, like it or don't like it, I'm going to say it, because that's the success. You know, mm. Martin Luther King said, your life begins to end on the day you stop talking about things that matter most. Mm. But, you know, having mean things said about you sucks. You know, and mm. like, so, you know, pass the butter. Tough enough. <laughs> right. So, uh, as you as you look at the world, you talked about a bit about the state of the world, and uh, how do you see the world what, in terms of humanity and where we're at? in our evolutionary process, like where where are we at and where do you see it going? What 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 excites you about where where we're going? Uh what concerns you, what excites you? I think we're living at a time of two intense parallel phenomena. One is mm-hmm. an intensification of darkness and the other is the intensification of light. And where it goes will be determined by the human race itself. Mm. Um, I think we are in a far more critical moment in the development of the species than a lot of people are giving credence to. Mm. But I also believe that miracles are happening uh, all the time. And I think that there is a an awakening occurring more and more people realizing that love and compassion and forgiveness need to become humanity's bottom line. Mm. Now, I don't think the problem is not enough people see that, but I don't think enough people are yet committed to it to turn the ship around. You know, hatred has a perverse kind of courage. You see Mm. in terrorists, for instance, terrorists are very convicted, and committed, and will do whatever it takes to effectuate their worldview. More of us need to be convicted and committed to love, the way some people are convicted and committed to hate. Far why are we not? Pardon? Why, why are we not? Because it really struck the, me when you said that. Well, why are we not? 
Well, from a metaphysical perspective, the the human race, the, the planet, is dominated by a consciousness of fear and separation. And the evolution of the species, of any species, is such that when you continue moving in a non-survivable, in a direction that is, is not uh, helpful for the survival and does not promote the survival of the species, then that species will either change or it will grow extinct. And clearly, we fight too much. We are violent towards each other. We are violent towards the planet itself. And when you ask why, the spiritual answer to that is that there is this element, in the course it's called ego, it is fear, it is shadow, it is devil, every, you know, whatever you wish to call it. It is a force of consciousness that resists love. Because love dissolves the myth of separation. If I love you enough, I, I, I be, we, we begin to exist on a realm where we do not attach ourselves to any walls that divide us. So the mind that perpetuates and maintains the separation needs to always be projecting guilt onto someone so that I feel separate from that someone. Now, the mind is so powerful that whichever thought we think, whether I think with love or I think without love, when I think without love, the Course in Miracles says the absence of love is fear and all negativity derives from that, but that it's the same as the relationship between light and dark. When the light is present, the darkness is gone. When the love is present, the fear is gone. So the human race is standing at a profound um, uh, place of choice. Uh, we're at a fork in the road. We will either decide to live in a more survivable way, which would be love rather than money, as the bottom line of human evolution, the organizing principle of human evolution, or we will not. And if if we do not, then the stress points already existing uh, in terms of the amount of nuclear bombs on the hand in, ter- in the world, in terms of terrorism, in terms of environmental degradation, it is reasonable to assume that if we do not transform our bottom line, sometime in the next 20 years, in as big a way as we need to, it is reasonable to assume that a global catastrophe is is becoming more probable every day, regardless of whether it's a biochemical or a nuclear or environmental weather catastrophe or whatever. Now, if if that were to occur, God forbid, there will only be a few people left on the planet at the end of that, and those people, even if it's only five people left, Surely they will look at each other and they will say, let's do things differently this time. So the human race is going to get there. We are going to build our civilization according to the dictates of love. The only question is how much human suffering will have to occur beforehand. And that's the choice that each of us makes. And that that circles back to what's success. Success, in, in my mind, is putting yourself in the army of light, asking God to use you, asking spirit to use you, as someone whose energy is used in the direction of making that other choice for humanity. And what we're definitely getting to is the realization that there's no such thing as a neutral thought. If we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. If if your energy is not proactively in service of love, light, and compassion, then it is, however passively, uh, serving and contributing to the forces of devolution and fear. Mm, mm, beautiful. Um, you said a lot, and I'm just thinking about 
talked about suffering and maybe humanity having to go through more suffering to, to force us to change. Uh, do we do we need? I mean, I guess I guess my question is: Do we need to go through suffering? Is there a is it is suffering necessary uh, on the spiritual path, on the evolutionary path? Is is, is, is there another way? In the course, it says grow. it is not up to you what you learn; it is merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. Now, I I think it's reasonable to assume. So I want to ask you a question. You have suffered, correct? Yes, for sure. Okay, and you've learned from your suffering, correct? Yes. Okay. So I think it's reasonable to assume that everybody is listening right now has suffered. So the the question is not do we have to suffer? The question is given the fact that we all already have, mm. are we ready to learn or to to live a life based on what we have learned from our suffering. That's the real question. The point is not how much people have suffered, but whether or not they've learned from their suffering. Humanity's already suffered enough. Mm. I mean, my God, people look at the suffering. The issue is, are we willing to learn? And not just from our own suffering, but the suffering of others. Mm. 15,000 children starve on this planet every day. Mm. How, How much more suffering do we need to bear witness to before we say, oh my God, that's, I want to live my life in service to the creation of a world in which that would not be allowed. Yes. What, what, uh, what ways can people, uh, in simple ways in their lives, because some people might say, well, you know, Marianne, I'm busy, I'm working, I'm, there's so much I have, and I guess what, what ways can people practice living committing to love and living it in their lives. Are there any uh, ways you can challenge, if, inspire, recommend? If you, if you have the time to shower in the morning, you have the time to meditate. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world, you know. And by the way, <laughs> time itself is malleable. When you meditate, you literally have more time. Mm. So this business, we don't have time. I mean, it should be more like when you said earlier... People are afraid to surrender. What we should be afraid of is the life that happens when you don't surrender. Because when you don't surrender to divine order, you are dooming yourself to live within a random universe. That's what's scary. And the same with meditation. You say you don't have time to meditate. But once you realize that if you have not prayed, if you have not meditated, if you've not done whatever your spiritual practice is, the chances are increased that you will make neurotic, stupid, self-destructive mistakes throughout the day. you get a little more serious about your practice. (laughs) We need to stop coddling ourselves. Make it real. Can we be simple? Well, I don't know how much more simple it could be than um, who have I not forgiven. You know, in The Course in Miracles, it says, every day wake up and say to the God of your understanding, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? And, you know, when we meditate in the morning, we pray, we do whatever our practice is. That doesn't mean we're going to be enlightened masters all day. But Mm -hmm. I know in my own experience, it means that the chances are greatly diminished that I will mess up in a big way today. And it also means that if and when I do mess up, I, I will not fall over the cliff. I won't do anything that stupid. 
that I can't try to correct it. But um, on the days when I allow myself to fall for the myth that I'm too busy, Mm. um, you know, energy is powerful. So the energy placed in service of love and harmony and truth and inspiration is very powerful, but so is the energy placed in service of the character defects, the delusions, the neuroses, and so forth. So meditation as a as a foundation. Absolutely. Uh, the, the Dalai Lama said, uh, to save the world, we must have a plan, but unless we meditate, no plan will work. It's beautiful. So meditation... I'm curious what what uh, what spiritual practices you practice uh, in your daily life that have made a difference over the last 20, 30 years. Well, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, so I do the workbook of the course, which is mm-hmm. a meditation path, 365 days of lessons. And I also do transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. So I those are two very powerful ones. There's, you know, there are so many different forms and practices. Um, and like I said, a lot of people already know what their practice is. They just don't do it regularly. Mm. And other people are looking, and if you pray within, it will appear. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just recalling as you're talking the quote, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and uh, everything will be added unto you. Absolutely. I, in my first book, A Return to Love, I put, Seek ye first the kingdom of love, and the Maserati will get here when it's supposed to. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you want to get here when it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, so I know that uh, there's, there's people listening in that have families, and uh, I'm sure there's many parents that are also listening in. And I know you have a daughter, and uh, you've shared about her uh, to me and just in your lectures. And um, it's an intense path. You know, I'm not a parent, but. Uh, I, I understand it's an intense journey, spiritual path, uh, raising another soul, another being, and uh, the children are the next generation, you know, the next evolution of our species. So I'd love to know what you've learned as a parent and uh, how the parents listening in uh, can best serve this child that they've been entrusted with, this soul, to raise them in a way that uh, allows their souls to grow authentically what, what what's the key for parents to know well i i think parents naturally know mm. i think that we have created for ourselves a society which is moving way too fast uh way too many screens uh way too many computers on uh way too many phones on um way too little human interaction i think we all need to slow down uh, the computer does not have to be at dinner. Uh, the cell phone does not have to be at dinner. Um, I think our kids today are facing huge pressures that they should not have to face, um, both academically and otherwise. And yet, so are parents. The economy being the way it is, uh, so much of our national resources uh, financially shoved into the hands of a very few Americans while uh, more and more Americans are living at great stress, both economically, health care, uh, education, and so forth. So I think part of it is all of us as citizens trying to do what we can to foster a society in which the average person has more time to spend with their kids. 
mm-hmm. and can uh, really afford to not live be living at such a such a frenetic pace all the time that they can create not only greater community but greater sense of family and family bonds. But I also think the family that prays together stays together. So I think that developing within the home as well, everything that has to do with fostering for our children, teach children meditation very young, teach children yoga very young, pray with your children very young, talk about how miracles happen with your children when they're very young. So I think that the kind of healing that we need in the world today is holistic. It has to do with inside us and it has to do with outside us. And I believe that whatever path you find, find one. You know, sometimes there's a lot of spiritual dilettantism these days. You take a principle here and a principle there. It's better to find a path and to walk that path. And that will include um, daily, daily time spent with the divine. It includes a cultivation of a lifestyle that supports inner peace as well as outer peace. And that kind of a more peaceful lifestyle causes deeper communication with our children in the same way that it causes and leads to deeper communication with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, one of, one of the things as we explore success on many different levels, Marianne, is... Uh, one of the dangers of success, people achieving success, that I've seen is uh, many times we find something that works and, okay, wow, that worked and we do that again and we do that again. We do it again. We just keep replicating and doing it. And uh, the danger of getting stuck in a identity, stuck in a certain you know dance pattern, rhythm, way of doing things, way of uh, going through the world where there's no creativity, you know, and uh, uh, so I'm curious, what uh, what inspires you to not get stuck in something that worked and continuing to do that because it it worked in the past? Well, what's your inspiration? Obviously, my choosing to run for Congress was shaking it up a little <laughs> exactly. bit. Exactly. Um, yeah. But then, on the other hand, um, having been through that experience. You know, anything that you do that you do well, you could even do better. So I feel more inspired to do what I do, but to try to do it better. And I think that that's, you know, sometimes it's not the form of your work that needs to change. It's that you just need to shake up your relationship with the work. And I also, I want to say something, Coot. You said earlier about how you know, as society defines success, I think that we don't want to make ourselves wrong uh, for wanting material success. When you were talking about people who have children, you know, material success is the difference sometimes between whether or not your little girl can have ballet class. Material success is whether or not your child can go to college. Material success is whether or not you can you know, go on a very much needed vacation so or pay your bills, period. So we don't want to make material success wrong uh, because that will create a subconscious uh, self-sabotage. You don't want to make money wrong. You don't want to make material success wrong. The issue is not to make it wrong. The issue is to see its sense of purpose 
as that mm-hmm. which would support you in a life where you can be of greater service. So I think that's a really important issue. People shouldn't feel guilty for the fact that they want to make more money, you know, or they want to pay right. their bills, they want a home for their family. So that's an important issue as well, I think. How can someone open to, the? I guess, a greater flow of abundance? You're talking about money. I think and, uh, for, It has a role. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And I think that it's, it's everything. It, we can have whatever we are willing to receive. And I think that to the extent to which you know, I, I think I used to, um, I used to make money wrong. Hmm. I I thought it was, um, you know, I I just had some some assumptions about people with wealth, and I can see not only how it made me sabotage myself in making money, but also made me take less seriously the responsibility of it. And so I've been reckless with money at times, um, and I'm, I'm not proud of that. Being responsible about money is is part of living um, a righteous life. And what also shifted? taking a stand for economic justice in the society is important because what's happening in America today uh, with the wealth gap and uh, economic inequality is so immoral. And the mm. fact that we you know, keep voting in those policies is just really shocking. So... Anybody who is not taking a stand on that might want to look again. What shifted for you, Marianne, in your relationship with, with money? What was what was the shift going from judging it to a different relationship? Well, I think we heal one we heal one aha at a time. Mm. You know, you just look, you make a list, who do I judge? Who do I judge? Who do I criticize? Who do I blame? Who do who have I not forgiven? And one of the things I saw in my life was that I'm had this these assumptions about about money and i think that changing that to gratitude is a very good idea but also it's not just about receiving money it's about treating it with proper responsibility and maturity and sobriety once you get it look at all the people who have won the lottery and then lost the money so it's not just about receiving money it's also about treating it with proper you know treating it responsibly i think that's important Awesome. I have a couple more questions. I want to uh, just thank you for your generosity, Marianne, and sharing. And I pray and hope and know that everyone listening in, you're being inspired by this conversation and what Marianne is sharing. Um, you said a lot, Marianne. And um, the question I'm asking each person towards the end of each interview to, to just distill uh, the conversation is if there were three keys. Uh, Based on your experience, based on your learnings, your successes, your failures, everything you've been through, three lessons that you feel would be perhaps uh, the most important lessons that if you were able to pass these three things on to the next generation that you felt would evolve the next generation the most, uh, what would what would those three keys be that you'd want the next generation to know and pass on to them? Uh, number one, meditate daily. Number two, forgive yourself and others. And you forgive yourself by atoning for your errors, taking responsibility for your errors. And number three, live in greater service to others. It's not just about you. I think get over yourself is probably most everyone could use a big bumper sticker that they put in their house. Just paint it on your wall. Get over yourself. Because most of our problems... Um, really do stem 
from our attachment to our own little little dramas as opposed to perspective on where we fit into a larger whole. Beautiful. Get over yourself, everyone, as you're listening. Get over yourself. <laughs> I think people who, yeah, people who take themselves too seriously yeah. usually don't take the world seriously enough. And when you don't mm. take yourself so seriously, you can be a much more serious player on the planet. Mm. Mm. That's profound. I would love for you to, before I ask for one final thing, I'd, I'd love for you to, if you were to assign a challenge to those listening, you said a lot, if there was a, uh, we call it a homework assignment, a challenge, an invitation, because I really want uh, part of the summit and the conversations to be practical, so it's not just something people listen to and go, oh, that was nice, but they get to embody it and, and live it and apply it into their lives so that their life shifts, their community shifts, their family shifts, but you know those uh, their entire surrounding shifts, and they get to actually give their gifts in the world. So if there were... a one thing that you would invite the, those listening in today to to act on, uh, what would that be? Is there one thing? Before you walk into any room, blast everybody in the room with love before you get there. Whether it's a business meeting or a party, a social event, a professional event, a political event, whatever it is, the grocery store, whatever, before you even walk through the door, just send all this love from your heart to everyone who you are going to be in contact with, both those you know and those you don't know, and watch the miracles that will happen because you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you share why? Just, just for those listening, like why? Because, because there are parallel universes. There, you know, they're in, in quantum mechanics and physics now. They talk about multi-universes and multiverses now. And and the idea here is that with every thought, we are determining a mindset. And that mindset is like a mental filter. And you will either live in a random universe or in an ordered universe. And if you walk into a situation just kind of letting it happen or in fear of something you will live within the circumstances that reflect that mindset. But if you send love before you even go, everybody subconsciously knows everything. All minds are joined. And if you just go around blessing everybody, they will feel blessed in your presence. They won't know why. Hmm. But you start like if there's someone who's a problem in your life, just start praying for their happiness every morning for hmm. about five minutes and everything will change. Hmm. Either their behavior will change or you, their behavior won't affect you. Mm-hmm. You, your I behavior did. might not change, but you're, you you won't be affected by it. So these are these yeah. are plenty practical, but also don't underestimate what happens. You say we don't want people to just listen to this. You know the the, the greatest action sometimes is the activity mm-hmm. going on inside our mind. So mm-hmm. if anybody you know has an aha moment, that is mm-hmm. that's plenty practical because that can <laughs> affect how you think and therefore how you feel and therefore how you act. So just uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing that. A deeper conversation is is as powerful as a one, two, three. Mm. You know, do this, Beautiful. do that. Beautiful. Um, Marianne, we'll post uh, your website and and uh, some info about you along with this interview, so people Thank can you. connect with you. Thank and, you so uh, much. Thank you. Your work, your work is truly amazing, and 
you know, you've, you've touched my life, so I want to thank you for being a, a trailblazer, an inspiration for me, and I know for many listening to this call. And before you give your blessing, I just want you to just bless your work and may you continue to just be used even more fully in ways beyond anything you can imagine by, by life itself. Your your real treasure, a blessing. So thank you for your presence. Thank you for saying yes. And I'm truly honored to have you here. And oh, thank uh, I would you. love to you. To, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. And I'm honored that you would have me on your program. And I uh, wish you the best as well, Coot. And I'm I'm just glad to have spent the time with you. So yeah. uh, we'll say that blessing, again. shall we? Yes, please go for it. <laughs> And now to the greater, great creative light, the source, the divine, the God of our being. We now devote ourselves, all that we have and all that we are. The dreams that we have, the visions that we have, the hopes that we have, we place them now in divine hands. We place in these hands all burden, all stress and all fear. We place our past in the hands of God, our present and our future. We surrender into a universe of divine order. And we pray that we be lifted. Lift us up above and beyond the thought forms of limitation and fear. That we might go forward now. Angels to our left and angels to our right. Angels in front of us and angels behind us. Angels above us and angels below. The thoughts of God. The thoughts of love. The thoughts of the miraculous continuing to uplift us and all that we do, that truly we might become the light and extend the light that blesses the entire world. Mm. And so it is, we all say, Amen. Amen. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at kooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.